The reading is from Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 12 to 23. Jesus begins to preach. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. So last week we began a new series at um, 10 o'clock. And just as an aside, as you came in this morning, you should have received um, a lovely term card. And it tells you what is going on throughout our services on a Sunday uh, up until the end of April. So you've got on this all the titles. There's a little box at the bottom saying what the sermon series is, Who Do You Say I Am? And we're trying to link 8 o'clock and and 10 o'clock. 8 o'clock uses set readings, um, set something called the lectionary. And where possible, we are preaching from the same passage, both at 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock, so that there's a sense that throughout our Sunday services, we have that connection and we are thinking through the same topics and same theme. This is about Jesus. This is about who Jesus is. Who do you say I am? And we began that last week and we began by realising that there are so many different ideas and perceptions of who Jesus is. And that's true today. And that was true in Jesus' time himself. And the Gospels unfold understanding about who Jesus is. It does that through a whole range of things, the whole narrative of Jesus' life, but also what he did during that time. And we find different characteristics of Jesus. So I've picked out some themes that... They don't always totally relate to the passage chosen, but the reason that some of the passages are chosen so that we are together with 8 o'clock, which is really important. But today we're thinking about Jesus the teacher, and there is reference to Jesus the teacher in this. Because one of the main features about Jesus' ministry was that he taught. He was known and recognised as a rabbi. That was the model that people understood around him. 
a Jewish teacher who would explain and unfold the scriptures. And quite often, we see Jesus referred in the Gospels as rabbi, teacher. So this was key to who he was and how his ministry unfolded. But he wasn't like the other rabbis. There seemed to be something different about him. And from the very beginning, his teaching was disturbing and was radical and completely turned things upside down. Sometimes we have lost that sense of just how unsettling Jesus' teaching was. The rabbis explained the scriptures. They had slightly different ways of understanding it, but nothing was too radical. It was just whether the nuance of the word was this or whether the law could be understood like that. But nothing particularly radical. But Jesus came onto the scene like a whirlwind. And his teaching was like nothing that they had ever heard before. And somehow it's important for us to to get back into that mindset, to read the Bible as something radical. If you read C.S. Lewis and the um, Narnia stories, in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, there's a question about Aslan. Is Aslan safe? No, says the beavers, but he's kind. Jesus taught in a way that wasn't safe. It was startling, it was radical, it was disturbing. People couldn't quite understand what he meant. It challenged people to their very core. And that's the truth today as well. But sometimes we've lost that edge. But we need to realise first and foremost how Jesus came across in his culture. To help us, I want to show a clip from Dead Poets Society. This is a, it's an old film now. You've probably seen it many, many times. But this is about a teacher in a school in America in the 1950s, which has a very staid way of teaching. Rote learning, the teacher at the front in a gown. You learn and you copy what I say and you don't think for yourself. And Mr. Keating comes in in a completely different way and disturbs everything. Disturbs the boys, because they've never seen a teacher like this before. Disturbs the rest of the teaching institution because they think this is not how you do it. And I want you to watch this because the sense that you get of this is weird, this is strange, not quite like that, that was how people would have felt listening to Jesus. So just watch this clip. He is exhausted And don't use very sad use. Come on, Mr. Overstreet, you twerp. (laughs) Morose? Exactly, morose. Now, language was developed for one endeavor, and that is... Mr. Anderson, come on, are you a man or an amoeba? (laughs) Mr. Perry. Uh, To communicate. No, to woo women. They were going to be talking about William Shakespeare. Oh, God. I know. A lot of you look forward to this about as much as you look forward to root canal work. We're going to talk about Shakespeare as someone who writes something very interesting. Now, many of you have seen Shakespeare done very much like this. Oh, Titus, bring your friend hither. <laughs> but if any of you have seen Mr. Marlon Brando... No, but Shakespeare can be different. France, Romans, 
consonant. Let me rest. You can also imagine maybe John Wayne is Macbeth going, Well, is this a dagger I see before me? Dogs, sir? Oh, not just now. I do enjoy a good dog once in a while, sir. You can have yourself a three-course meal from one dog. Start with your canine crudite. Go to your Fido Flambe for main course. And for dessert, a Pekingese parfait. And you can pick your teeth with a little paw. Why do I stand up here? Anybody? To feel taller. No. Thank you for playing, Mr. Dalton. I stand upon my desk to remind myself that we must constantly look at things in a different way. See, the world looks very different from up here. You don't believe me? Come see for yourselves. Come on. Come on. Just when you think you know something, you have to look at it in another way. Even though it may seem silly or wrong, you must try. Now, when you read, don't just consider what the author thinks. Consider what you think. Boys, you must strive to find your own voice. Because the longer you wait to begin, the less likely you are to find it at all. Thoreau said most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Don't be resigned to that. Break out. Don't just walk off the edge like lemmings. Look around you. There. There you go, Mr. Christie. Thank you. Yes. Dare to strike out and find new ground. Now, in addition to your essays, I would like you to compose a poem... Of your own, an original work. That's right. You have to deliver it aloud in front of the class on Monday. Bon chance, gentlemen. Mr. Anderson. Don't think that I don't know that this assignment scares the hell out of you, you mole. <laughs> when you think you know something... You've got to look at it in a different way. There was a teacher who was making people think differently. To take what they had already known and look at it from a different angle. And that was what Jesus was doing. People knew their scriptures. They were rooted in their faith. Jewish people understood their faith, their history. They could quote it. They could tell you all about it. And Jesus came and said, I'm not ripping that apart. But I want you to take what you know. And I want you to look at it in a different way. And his teaching was such that it forced people to look at what they already knew in a different way. What was Jesus doing and why was he doing this? Why was he teaching in this way? And if we look at this passage, we begin to see something about why he was doing as he was doing. There's a sense of urgency. John the Baptist has been arrested because people didn't like what he was saying. And Jesus knows that the time has come for him now. Now is the time and the place for him to begin his ministry which involves teaching. And he says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is arriving. The kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, both are interchangeable throughout the Gospels. Repent. 
If you look at billboards of wayside preachers, that's often the verse they use, repent, for the kingdom of God is nigh. And we think of that as being a call to feel hugely guilty about every single little wrong thing that we have done in our lives and to heap on the guilt. Here we go again. How many more times, Lord, do I have to tell you how sorry I am? I have to keep on doing it because the kingdom of God is here. But actually, that is a wrong understanding of the use of the word repent in this context. What Jesus is meaning is something different. He is saying, change direction, turn around, go the other way. God's people have been waiting for God's kingdom to reign. They've chosen other ways to understand how that would come to be. And it looked like revolution. And there were people who were rising up and revolting and plans to overcome the Roman um, domination in their land. But the problem is that fighting is putting darkness against darkness. And Jesus is saying there's a different way. That is not how God's kingdom will be established here on earth. Israel has been called to be the light of the world. And so you live in a way that reflects light and lives light. So Jesus is saying, stop thinking about revolution. What I want you to do is to turn. Repent means to turn. To face God. To recognize his kingdom as light, peace, healing, forgiveness. This is for yourselves and for the rest of the world. You have a calling as my people to bring that light into the rest of the world. So at the heart of Jesus' ministry was the urgent call to say, You need to live your lives differently. To show how God's kingdom is coming into being and to reveal through your lives what that looks like. And the question that Jesus might ask them, God's kingdom is coming. It is here. It has broken in in a new way with my arrival here on earth. Are you standing in the way of it? Or are you part of its ongoing development an extension. That's a harsh choice. Are you standing in the way or are you working with God? Because if you're working with God, you're going to have to rethink all that you'd ever thought. There's going to be some hard challenges coming to you. But if you want to walk in my way, that's what you need to do. And so Jesus taught. He taught about what it meant to belong to God's kingdom. To see those values worked out on earth. And it took that total shift in mindset, in understanding and in thinking. It meant they had to lay aside preconceived ideas. All the things that they'd known, possibly even prejudices. One major thing was that the Jewish people felt that God was theirs and theirs alone. And Jesus was saying, God is there for all. That's a massive mind shift. This is our safe little place. God is ours. We are his. And everybody outside it is our enemies. And Jesus blasts her and says no. God had been saying that and saying that and saying that. But with Jesus' arrival, it was becoming more urgent. God is for all of mankind. So Jesus went through Galilee. 
as it says here, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing. God's kingdom, his sovereign rule, was being unleashed upon Israel and throughout the world. And his people needed to see it, to understand it, and to be part of it. When we see Jesus teaching in that way, I think it helps us understand more why the Pharisees seem to be so resistant. We think of them as these awkward people who are stuck in their ways. But actually, what they had was precious, a gift. Yes, they were misusing that gift. But imagine everything you had believed, you'd stood for, you had taught, was now being challenged and you were being told, no, it's not like that. It is not a wonder we see a reaction from the Pharisees throughout the Gospels. So Jesus taught because he needed people to understand the new thing that was happening with his arrival on earth. And he did that in a variety of ways. He preached. He used what was there already, the existing model of the synagogue. He took that opportunity when he had the chance to do so to preach in the synagogue. But he also taught in crowds, often in the open air. He taught through modelling. Think of the journey with the disciples. He showed them what it was like to live the life. Modelling is an amazing way of teaching. You can often learn a whole lot more by walking alongside somebody than by reading a book. He delegated Gradually, he gave more and more responsibility to the disciples. So not only were they seeing for themselves, but they were doing for themselves. Go out. Go out into the villages nearby and heal. And they went and they came back and reported on all that had happened. Jesus told stories. He had conversations. He asked questions. Think of the number of questions that Jesus has asked. How often did he answer them? in the way that we think of an answer, more often than not, he replied with another question. Why was he doing that? Because he wanted people to think for themselves. Because if you then have to explore for yourself, you have a deeper level of understanding because you've wrestled with the whole thing. So many different ways that Jesus taught. If we were to look in our schools today, we would see many of those being carried out Luckily, our schools are not like the school that Mr. Keating went to in the 1950s. Not like the school I grew up in, where actually my education was a lot about rote learning. And I went to university, not really ever having thought for myself and thinking, oh my goodness me, what have I done? Education now, more and more, is about helping children to think for themselves, to engage with learning for themselves. And it's done creatively. And if you were to drop into Wanish and Shamley Green School on a Wednesday morning, you might find every classroom empty because they're all out in the woods, in the forest school, doing education through being in the open air. I wish I'd been at a school like that. Maths with twigs. Understanding about science. Using the world around them to create poetry. 
And that's just one way in which our schools are developing a creative curriculum. That is the language that in 2017 schools are talking about. And schools are learning and developing and it still feels quite a new area. Jesus did it way back then. Why have we taken so long to realise that there are many different teaching styles and there are many different learning styles? Jesus was using all of that, all the different ways of teaching that meant that people who learned in different ways could respond. How do we learn? Jesus knew how we learned and he used everything possible to help that. Three things that we might think about as we think about how we learn from Jesus. Because Jesus is still teaching us through his word, through prayer, through our experiences. How might we learn in that way that is creative, that is challenging, that is taking a concept and playing with it and wrestling with it, being excited, being challenged, letting the words leap off the page in a new and an exciting way. I had the privilege of going with Kia and the rest of her support group to um, one of her sessions that the diocese run. There's an open session once a year and Bishop Joe was speaking at that as she presented certificates to the year group that had just finished. And she talked about how we learn. So I'm going to, if someone else has come up with it, use it yourself. She had three things, and I, I just want to share those with you. We learn with our head, our heart, and our hands. We learn with our head. We use our intellect. We use the brains that God has given us. We don't just take at face value and learn rotely. The Jewish boys learned the scriptures off by heart, but did they know what they meant? They could recite them, but they didn't necessarily understand them. So we need to use our heads responsibly and well and keep sharpening that tool. So we need to study and invest time in learning. There's also something about learning within community. And I want to read from a book called, it's the interesting title of Velvet Elvis by a man called Rob Bell, an American writer. And when he describes what it was like to learn in Jesus' time, we realise that we've got something here too. The Bible is a communal book, he says. It came from people writing in communities and it was often written to communities. Remember that the printing press wasn't invented until the 1400s. Prior to that, very few people had their own copies of the Bible. In Jesus' day, an entire village could probably afford only one copy of the scriptures, if that. Reading the Bible alone was unheard of, if people could even read. For most of church history, people heard the Bible read aloud in a room full of people. You heard it, discussed it, studied it, argued about it, and made decisions about it as a group, as a community. Contrast this communal way of reading and discussing and learning with our Western, highly individualised culture. In many Christian settings, people are even encouraged to read the Bible alone, which is a new idea in church history. A great idea and a life-changing discipline, but it's a new idea. And think of pastors, vicars. Many pastors study alone all week, stand alone in front of the church and talk about the Bible, 
and then receive mail and phone calls from individuals who agree or don't agree with what they said. This works for a lot of communities, but it isn't the only way. Are we learning in community? Are we learning with one another? That's what home groups are all about. A place where we are excited about learning, excited to look at Jesus' teaching, to explore it with one another, to sharpen one another, to discuss it, to be honest, to share our struggles and to learn together. If you're not in a home group, we've got an amazing opportunity over the Lent period to be part of a group for a short period of time and encourage you to think about that. We've got flyers coming out next week, but we've got some sign-up sheets already on the table today with a timetable of what's on and when. There will be more information coming, but if you've already thought about this and think, yes, I'd like to be part of that group, you can begin to sign up. Because learning in community is hugely important. So we use our head. We use our heart. We use every part of us. We don't read passively, but we are involved in it. It should touch us and speak to us and shape us. It should lead us to cry. It should lead us to be excited. We should use our emotion and our imagination as we learn. And we use our hands. We learn by doing. Thomas, I'm really excited about what you're going to do. I wish I was going off for two months because I know that doing that sort of thing draws me so much closer to God. And the privilege of having time to go and do. We don't all need to go and spend two months in Africa, although I wish we all could. But doing something a little bit different will help us to learn. I was speaking on a course um, a couple of weeks ago for the diocese and I was remembering when I first stood and gave an all-age talk. And it was 17 years ago. And I look back and think it was probably absolute rubbish. But by doing, hopefully it's a little bit better today than it was then. But you don't improve unless you begin And sometimes we don't do because that step of actually doing something for the first time is so terrifying that we daren't do it. But I know that when I have felt most vulnerable, most inadequate, that is when I've met God and I have learned so much more about him and about myself. We learn with our hands by doing. It might be our feet. So are we going to continue learning? Jesus is a teacher. He teaches in this amazing, beautiful, creative, exciting, exhilarating way. How are we coming as learners? Are we willing? Are we excited? His teaching was hard-hitting. It turned people's minds upside down. It disturbed. But it also brought hope where there was despair. It brought light into the darkness. And it brought a future into a world that is ruled by uncertainty. And the journey continues. Jesus teaches about his kingdom here on earth. Are we going to learn from him and be part of that kingdom? Or are we going to stick to our preconceived ideas, our limited understanding, and in doing so actually stand in the way of what God is doing? So it's going to take some work. We need to be disturbed. 
But if we are, we're part of the light. I want us to have some time, because we often have time in this busy, busy world. And rather than respond at the moment with singing, we're going to watch, um, we're going to hear a song. The words will come up. So if it helps you to see words as well as hear them, the words will be on the screen. If you're happy just to hear it, you can close your eyes. But this is a song called My Jesus. PCC heard it on Monday night. But it's a song that at the moment, it's, it's quite a new, new wine song. It's speaking to me a lot about our relationship with Jesus because it needs to be alive. It needs to be close. Jesus is our rock, he is our refuge, he is our light, he is our strength. And when we walk in relationship with him, we're ready and able to be taught by him and to learn from him. So we'll listen to this song. Thank you. 